Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross. Guys, uh, I don't know if you've heard the old Ferris Bueller saying, but uh, the news cycle moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and tweet about it sometimes, you might miss a chance to get blocked by the president. Um, that's, the, that's the sequel right there, by the way. Um, that, is a, that is a life goal of mine. That is a life goal of mine uh, to get blocked by the President of the United States, right between hiking Machu Picchu and starting a family, I think it's getting blocked by Donald Trump on Twitter. But uh, my point is, a lot has happened this week, guys. Um, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we talked, since you, I guess we didn't, we, you and I don't really have a dialogue, but the last time you've heard me, a lot has happened. In fact, I'm sure a lot more will happen even between me recording this and, and uh, the podcast going up, which is literally just a few hours, um, I'm sure, who knows, maybe Donald Trump Jr. will be the emperor of Greenland. My dog will not stop chugging water in the background. Hey, Mina, 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 I'll refill you in a second. No? You're just going to keep chugging. Hey, Mina, it's it's kind of, it's a little distracting. I know, we'll, we'll get you more. I know you're trying to pass that drug test. All right, we're back. Like I said, Donald Trump Jr. will be Emperor Greenland. Jim Jordan will have finally shocked the world by going on, going on TV and wearing a coat for once. Seriously, the guy looks like he's in Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, Supreme Cuss, Supreme Cuss Justice, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch will surprisingly be the sway vote in favor of LGBTQ rights, wherein he'll reveal that once a month he participates in an underground burlesque drag show using the stage name Georgetown Greyhound. That'll be a shocker. Uh, potentially, who knows? But this week, what has actually happened, Donald Trump announced that he may or may not be fucking over the Kurds in Turkey. Uh, he also attacked the mayor of the nicest city in America, Minneapolis. And no, I'm sorry, Teaneck, New Jersey. I know you wanted that award, but you didn't get it. All right, you're very nice. I understand you've got some great parks and a Gap outlet, but it's still fucking Jersey, okay? And one thing I hope that is still going on when when you hear this is the Trump impeachment investigation, which uh, no doubt has led him to tweet 22 times in the last two hours this morning, Wednesday, that I'm recording this. Um, it is driving him nuts, and for good reason, because there's a lot of shit there, um, and a majority of Americans are for it. However, of course, there are still some who are not. So let me make my case to those who are not in favor of this impeachment investigation and perhaps an actual impeachment if they find some things, okay? Because there are some who will say like, oh no, all, all politicians will investigate their opponents. That's not true. They're not, certainly they won't ask Ukraine to do that on a phone call where the guy just won, Zelensky just became president and it's a congratulations call. Uh, you, you typically don't do a quid pro quo on the phone. Uh, also, there are some, those who say, well, this is bad, but it doesn't rise to the level of impeachment. Well, guess what? Uh, uh, it does. And, and here's why. If you Google uh, grounds for impeachment, 
It literally says the Constitution limits impeachment to, quote, treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. So what does high crimes and misdemeanors mean? Well, on that same Google search, uh, it shows that high crimes and misdemeanors covers allegations by officials such as dishonesty, negligence, perjury of oath, abuse of authority, bribery, intimidation, misuse of public funds or assets, failure to supervise, dereliction of duty, unbecoming contact, refusal to obey a lawful order, chronic intoxication, including such offenses as, of course, tax evasion. All right. Tax evasion. That was the last one. But go through that. Dereliction of duty, bribery, intimidation, abuse of authority, misuse of public funds. Remember, he didn't give uh, Ukraine like crucial aid money because they wouldn't go and investigate the Bidens. Like, literally, if you go down that list, dereliction of duty, like, maybe the only one you could be like, all right, maybe he hasn't done this, is chronic intoxication. Because we know he doesn't drink. Uh, although, relishing in your own farts may cause you to get lightheaded at times. Anyway, my point is, this man is, is uh, impeachable. All right? If you're gonna go after, if you're gonna go after, uh, if you're gonna go after Clinton on BJ charges, I'm pretty sure uh, Donald Trump's level of everything rises to an impeachment investigation at the very, very least. And personally, I hope this drags on. Um, I hope this drags on, but I hope that you drag on your listening. What a segue to Donna Imam. Uh, candidate running in Texas. Uh, she was fantastic. We talked about healthcare. We talked about uh, education for all. Um, she is a proud progressive. Uh, she's sharp as a tack. We also talk about uh, her being a college DJ, uh, her Toyota Tercel. I hit on the hard things, you know, especially in the beginning. Um, but I, I just really enjoyed talking with her. She, of course, talked to me about some Texas barbecue. So uh, we make some serious, we make some fun stuff in there. I hope you enjoy it. She was fantastic, and I hope you guys go and support Donna. And uh, thanks for listening to this podcast. Uh, I want to thank, as always, uh, Jake the Snake Craney with his fake sponsors, uh, Mike Stocksdale, who is uh, just awesome when it comes to uh, putting this together, um, mixing in music, making me sound better. Um, and check out his music. He's he's a great musician, Mike Stocksdale. Um, and then, of course, Corey Hill. Uh, we will uh, we'll be talking soon uh, on a podcast, a State of the Stat, coming up in the next uh, couple weeks. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Thanks for listening. Uh, I uh, I will make sure that in every intro forward, uh, my dog Mina is chugging water in the background. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bernie Sanders, President of the United States in 2032. At 91 years young, Bernie will finally become president, running on the campaign slogan, I will continue to yell at you people until you make me president. Bernie Sanders, just let him have it. 
Can I get a moment just to have a thought? I wanna shout a thousand words of rage cause you've been tweeting out a lot. And lately I've been wondering if this blundering mess is just a ruse so you can plunder us and live in excess. All the while we've been hanging on every word while you Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross and today my guest. She is a Democrat running for the United States House of Representatives in Texas's 31st Congressional District right outside of Austin. She's also a computer engineer, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say she is a proud former owner of a 1984 Toyota Tercel. Donna, Imam, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for having me, Justin. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, but I got to dig into this Toyota Tercel that you had. Um, it, this was your first car, right? This is my first car, and it's five-speed. And, and I'm assuming you still, it, it conked out eventually, right? You don't have it still. You don't own it still. I don't. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was my first car. It had a gearbox that would lock up, um, but it was extremely reliable, and it got me around campus all the time, so it definitely worked out for me. I had a, I had a Mercury Mystique, because I'm... Yeah. I'm I'm a fan of like modestly priced cars that have alliteration in them. So I had a Mercury Mystique uh, and I had it in college, kind of like you did. Um, but a tree fell in the middle of it. It was like I, it was like I went like shopping for a Christmas tree and I was like, I want that one. And it, was, it totally collapsed in the car and uh, it ended up paying for the car I still have to this day, like almost more like a decade later. So, um, well, you know, there's a real uh, good secret about a Toyota Tercel. This is a Toyota Tercel hatchback. And the cool thing about um, it is if you open the hatchback and you put down the back seat, it can almost function as a truck. You could put huge, you know, couches in the back and, you know, students move <laughs> around every, every quarter. So it really came in handy. And I have a story about damage too. So I got rear-ended in the snow because uh, this was out in Angola, Indiana. And uh, I didn't have the $900 to replace that hatchback. So for the, for the rest of my time in college, and even while I worked for a while, I drove around with a Toyota Tercel with a back really badly <laughs> dented in. <laughs> I was going to say, you must have been very popular around, uh, is, it, is it Angle? Is that how you say Angle, Indiana? It's Angola, Indiana. Angola. Yeah. We have a... Yeah, it's- we we have a huge huge base of fans in Angola, Indiana. I just want to tell you, Donna. Okay. Yeah, it's ten, it's ten minutes from the uh, Michigan border and the Ohio border, so that's where you know you are there. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And you and 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 I I got to ask, did you have a name for your car? Did you have like a lot of people name their 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 first cars? I didn't, but you know, this is the car that got me to all my internships and co-ops through my junior and senior year, so. <laughs> it served me well. Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, I think there's a lot of love that people have for the first cars. And, and actually, so I found this. So people are like wondering how I know this. And I, I promise I, I have not been stalking Donna too much. Uh, just just enough for this interview. But um, but I did check out your website and you've got, I th- one of the coolest things I think about, um, you know, interviewing different candidates is you get to learn a little bit about them personally. And you have on your website, old photos of you kind of throughout the years and yeah. and and i think it was first of all just a really good way to kind of personalize it but but one of the other things i i saw when you were in college uh you were in the you were a college dj is that right 
That's right. That's <laughs> I played, you know, nice you know, pop tunes and uh, throughout the weekend. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a really cool thing for me to do. And I had my DJ's license and everything. They have they give you license licenses. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! You need a you need a um, a DJ license to get on the air. Did, does that come with like a DJ name? Like were you were you like Drive Time Donna? <laughs> what was? You know, I was uh, I was quite a geek in in college, and I just wasn't that cool to be honest. <laughs> oh, see, I. I could see. I, I feel like though you have a good personality. You could be. You could be part of like a morning zoo crew, you know, like like Donna and the Bullfrog in the morning. <laughs> yeah. It'd be, uh, yeah. I wish I was that cool <laughs> when I was back in college. Seriously. <laughs> well, um, I appreciate you being being on the podcast, and and I know you are. Um, I actually have family in Austin, and in the district that you're representing is is right mm-hmm. outside of Austin. Is that right? Yeah, so it actually includes um, uh, quite a bit of Northwest Austin, believe it or not. So for those of uh, for those of the folks that are re- listening and don't know a lot about Texas, maybe Texas is severely gerrymandered, and Austin is sliced into six little pieces in order to dilute the vote. And uh, and what they've done is taken little pieces of Austin and appended it with huge rural areas. So it's very similar for Texas thirty first district. It includes a big chunk of Northwest Austin. And then the suburbs of all of Austin in the north, including Cedar Park and Round Rock, some of the bigger cities. And then it goes on to Leander and Georgetown um, to round out Williamson County, basically. And, and how did it get to be that way? Is that just, is that the Republican uh, legislator over there? Like, how, like is yeah. that? Well, we've had a Republican legislator for a long time, a majority in the Texas State House. And... Um, you know, one of the things, you know, a lot of people might know about Austin is Austin is fairly liberal. It's actually deep, deep blue. So the only way to ensure that they minimize the number of Democrats that can serve in the Texas, Texas legislature is to take pieces of it and, you know, dilute the vote as much as possible. So that's really, um, uh, and every 10 years uh, after census, you know, these um, lines get redrawn. So that's really it in a nutshell. And, and if you get elected to Congress, how would you mm-hmm. address? I mean, especially because it, it's something that gerrymandering is is rampant on a on a national level. You know, we obviously yes. just had a an election in North Carolina that, that was centered around that, and you know, all around the country. But how would you address it if you were elected to Congress? Because that's so, always a huge issue, right? So this is done at a state level. So this is out of the reach of a, a federal, you know, um, position. This is really about Texas and how Texas wants to be represented. Um, and so what happens every 10 years is when they get redrawn. And if you're a U.S. congressional um, candidate or you are a U.S. Congress person, then you would be, you know, assigned one of these districts once it was redrawn and you would be, you would be able to run for it. But really in terms of setting where the district lines are, it has to do with the legislator of Texas. Um, and so it's completely dependent on them. And that's why it's so important, um, for Texans to pay not just attention to federal races, but also to state races, um, because it does make a difference in, you know, the services that are available to you. For example, uh, if you live in a different county, if you live in Williamson County versus Travis County, so if Travis County has most of Austin in it, uh, you know, your services might be different than what you get in Williamson County. So, you know, just district lines are really, it's a really big deal. And we have the census coming up. Um, and this is going to be, a, this is a huge impact. This is why Texas 
is important when it comes to 2020. It's going to have a massive impact on what Texas looks like after this 2020 election. Right. I mean, it kind of leads into the next question because obviously with Beto O'Rourke's candidacy for Mm -hmm. the Senate last time around in 2018, uh, there was a lot of hype and a lot of uh, excitement on the Democrat side. I mean, I, I threw a party in, in my studio apartment out here in Oakland. Uh, just the dog was here, but turns out <laughs> it was a hell of a party. Um, but uh, he didn't win. And so I think, I think in some ways that may have sort of dampened the spirits of people who think that, that Texas can go blue, but how are you feeling about that? Obviously I know, you know, you're running, but when you go across your district and I'm sure you've gone across the state as well and talked to voters and how does it, how how do you feel about 2020 and being able to turn Texas blue? I think uh, there's an extremely high chance. If not, we're on the verge of turning blue and here's the reason why. There's been a population explosion in Texas. It's one of the you know fastest growing in terms of the po- in terms of the demographics. The demographics are changing significantly. If you know anything about Austin at all, Austin used to be a sleepy little town, right, college town. And over the last two decades, um, specifically in the last probably seven to eight years, the population of Austin has quadrupled. Okay, and what's that? De- what that's done is it's pushed people out into the suburbs, right, uh, of Austin because they're looking for, you know, um, affordable housing that they can live in. They want people, young families are looking for good schools. So they tend to move out to the suburbs. And what's that, what that's doing is, is um, it's really changing the way people look at, you know, um, Texas as a whole. If you look at the people who are moving out, a lot of the younger families, they tend to be left-leaning. And um, and for if you take my district, for example, Texas 31. Texas 31 is made up of two counties, okay? So you have Williamson County and you have Bell County. And Williamson County is growing so fast that we get 120 new people moving in every single day. Now compare that with only... 35 people moving into Austin, which is one of the highest growing, you know, metropolitan cities in, in the country. Mm-hmm. So the demographics are changing. The people are changing. They're wanting representation that reflects their specific needs, right? People need good jobs. They need health care. They have kids in school. Um, so it's a, it's a completely different game. And if you look at Texas 31st District in 2018, we came close to only 2.9% of flipping blue. I mean, that's technically within the margin of error, right? So there's a huge opportunity here, and I don't see how it doesn't flip blue in 2020. And if I thought it wouldn't, trust me, I wouldn't be running. Well, and and I got to ask, with all those people moving into Austin and around Austin, is, is Austin still weird? What a great question. I think there's, <laughs> I think Austin, there's still some weirdness about it. And um, the cool thing about Austin is that there are still parts of Austin. And when you go down to the UT campus or you go down to South Congress, you still feel that vibe. And it's still one of those cities where you can come out and people of all ages are so friendly. And there's, and one cool thing about Austin is people are super casual. Like nobody wears anything but sandals and shorts here. And we get summer pretty much around the year. So we still have that weird factor. That's see, that's, that is weird. You know why? Because, and I can say this, I'm from Florida. That sounds very Florida-like. 
sandals and shorts year round. Yeah. That is, if somebody could like wrestle a gator in the middle of UT Austin campus, then I think it may, it may be almost as weird as Florida is overall. It's very, <laughs> yeah, it's very common for us to be sitting outdoors in sandals eating tacos in January. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by pumpkins. It's October, it's our time to shine. Carve us up or put us in a pie. Fuck you turkeys, you can wait. Get a pumpkin before it's too late. This message brought to you by the American Gourd Association. We had 11 months and that's the best we could come up with. Pumpkins! I feel sick, ready to heal, certain but ready to doubt. And I feel funny but ready to cry, silent but ready to shout. From what I can tell, a lot of what you're doing is trying to register voters. And am I right there? Is that is that correct? That's definitely part of it, but it's also getting out the vote, right? Mm-hmm. Registering voters and getting out the vote both have to happen. People need to believe that there is a very good chance of flipping blue. So a lot of times people look at Texas and they're like, oh, that's red. You know, what's my, what's the point? Why should I even vote? So people need not only to know that we're on the verge of flipping blue, but they need something to vote for. One of the things I found is I took the first six months of this year just to research. So I'm an emerging technology research by profession, right? I'm a computer engineer, but I also work in, you know, AI and machine learning. And I try to understand how these apply to, you know, industrial in, 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 you know, the private industry and how they apply to technology and what companies are going to do with these technologies. Right. And so when I looked at Texas 31 for the last six months, I went around, you know, precinct to precinct, city by city. And I talked to any nonprofit and any group organization club that would talk to me to try to understand what it is that they need. And what I found is that Democrats will not just vote against something. They need to vote for something. And that's what our campaign is all about. Our campaign is here's what we want for our community and our country and our state and our county and our city This is what we need. That's what we really need. And because we have a high number of new people moving in, voter registration is definitely part of the strategy. We also got to get out the vote. And the way we get out the vote is by giving people something to vote for. Mm -hmm. Was there like, just on a personal level, was there a moment where, you know, a specific moment where you're like, okay, now I'm going to go run for office? Like, because you have a career, but was there a specific moment, like a specific turning point Perhaps November 8th, 2016. (laughs) So, you know, I, the biggest suburb, suburb city in Texas 31 is Round Rock. And when you go to downtown Round Rock, right, there's a whole bunch of restaurants on both sides and, and they're really awesome places to go. And I've gone and walked all of downtown Round Rock and walked into every single restaurant and talked to any server in any restaurant that would talk to me. And to my dismay, what I found is that there is not a single restaurant server that has healthcare. And it doesn't just end there, right? I held a healthcare town hall prior to even announcing my run. 
And all the people that showed up uh, had a healthcare story. And, I, and I'll tell you one in particular. Uh, a lady who showed up said, look, we used to have our own business. And during that time, you know, we had health insurance. We paid for it. But it was one of those um, plans that had a really high deductible. And whenever I would get sick, I was some, somehow power through it. And she said, you know, six months ago, I found out that I have cancer. And right now, we actually, I actually have a job. And so I had really good healthcare coverage. And I actually went to the doctor. And I kept thinking to myself that if I had that old health insurance, right, I would have never gone. They would have never found my cancer. We would have never treated it early. And this is really what's happening in our country, that we have 80 million people that are uninsured, underinsured. So even if you have insurance, you are not going to the doctor because you, your deductible is so high. That first $150 to go see the primary care physicians and the tests that come after it that build up, right? You don't have that first 300, 400, 500, 1,000 to even pay your deduct until your deductible kicks in. This is the problem that we have all around our country and in my district. And I think what really did it for me was on Christmas Eve, when my mom, who's a super active person, she hurt her knee and it locked up and she became completely immobile. And when we got her into a clinic that was in network after being on the phone for 10 hours and we got her in front of a doctor and he said, I can't really do anything until she gets an MRI. And I said, that's great. The reason it took me 10 hours to find you is you guys actually have an MRI machine on site. And he said, let me just check on that. And he came back and he said, you know, I'm in network, but the MRI machine is not. <laughs> wow. Wow. How, how, like, I, I don't even know how that. How, how does that work? Like, how is... You tell me, right? Is it... And that's when I knew that our system is broken. That's why I'm running on healthcare for all. This is my signature policy, Justin. And, and I want to tell you a little bit about it because it's, you know, people talk about single-payer healthcare, right? There's two key elements in my healthcare for all that really transform single-payer healthcare in a way. So when we talk about single-payer healthcare, we talk about bringing it to the 80 million uninsured and underinsured. But every plan, even the, you know, the damn bill that Bernie Sanders wrote, the, it actually doesn't reach all the people fast enough. So people get put into this Medicare for all plan slowly because the real problem that we have in our country is that we don't have enough primary care physicians to even absorb this 80 million. That's the big problem that we have to solve in order to get healthcare to every single person. And my healthcare for all plan that I'm proposing is a seven page white paper does two specific things. One, it infuses the system with more primary care physicians. And that does two things, by the way. Number one, it actually creates a system that can sustain and absorb the 80 million people because now you actually have a doctor to go to. What many Americans don't understand is that today we have a huge lack of primary care physicians in this country. So it creates that system. And number two, what it really does is it lowers the cost of healthcare. And what, what people in private insurance don't realize today 
is that the system we have, even if you have good private insurance, is unsustainable. It will not last because the costs are out of whack. And so when you catch things early, when you can go to your neighborhood primary care physician less than a mile away, and you're not using ER as your front line of defense, that's how you reduce the cost. And this is so important for people to realize because we talk about Medicare for all, and there are about you know, five or 10 or a dozen studies out there done by groups of all shades of, you know, politics, left, right, center. And they all say one thing, which is in order to cover every single person in the United States, we need to spend somewhere between two trillion and three and a half trillion dollars a year. That's the worst, two to three and a half. So the best case they're saying is somewhere around two and the, and the worst case they're saying three and a half. And in 2018, Justin, our country spent $3.65 trillion while leaving out 80 million people. Wow. This is the problem that we need to solve. Um, you're, 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 you're damn right. <laughs> How do you convince somebody who likes their private insurance, who works at a private company, who probably makes a good amount of money, how do you convince them that they should buy into your plan and, and, and you know, how that would help them? Here's the kicker, Justin. I don't have to. So I'm a computer engineer. I worked in Fortune 500 my entire career. We're talking almost two decades most of my friends are engineers or work in tech companies in Austin, Texas. We're talking about Dell, Google, Amazon, all the big names, Facebook. They all have offices here. And everybody has private health insurance. And there's not a single person that loves their private health insurance. I'll tell you why. Because every single person who is employed lives in layoff anxiety. And what is layoff anxiety? Layoff anxiety is when a company realizes that a product is not going to go to market and they shut down that group. And today you have a really nice healthcare plan and tomorrow you have the option to get Cobra. And does anybody know how much Cobra costs? Oh, I know. So if you're it's a, a husband and wife <laughs> and you have two kids at home and you get laid off on a Friday evening, the first thing in your head is where am I going to come up with the $2,000 starting Monday to cover my kids and my wife and myself? Right. This is the problem with private insurance. This is not sustainable. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you another story. I'm going to talk about a guy who works in a high-tech company who tore his ACL. And he went around and he, he went skiing at the end of the year and tore his ACL and wouldn't get any kind of care for it because of the deductible. Because he said, well, towards the end of the year, I'm going to have to pay my entire deductible. And get this, if you're on private insurance, your deductible isn't very high. It's somewhat, could be $2,000, so It's a little bit lower. When I say not high, obviously this is very relative. A lot of people don't have that kind of money either. But he thought to himself, look, I'm going to need PT. I'm going to need PT for six, seven, eight, 12 months. So he went around in pain for the last quarter of the year so he could start his deductible from January. Just so that he would only have to pay one deductible because the deductible resets January 1st right. every year. 
So there is nobody that loves their private insurance. And if you can institute healthcare for all, which is my signature plan, and we can get primary care physicians to open up clinics everywhere, and we can infuse the system and build the infrastructure so that scale the infrastructure so everybody can be looked at, we can lower the cost. And lowering the cost is the most important thing. Lowering the cost, scaling the system. Those are the two things my single-payer healthcare for plan does that right now are not being talked about at the national level. Right. Let me ask you about, you've got um, some other plans that are for all. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about those plans. And um, I mean, I've watched politics for more than 30 years now. I mean, some there's got to be winners and losers, Donna. Who's losing? Who's losing among your plans here? Yeah, there's, there's uh, the, the only the only losers here are the billionaires that are stashing their cash uh, overseas in the Cayman Islands. Uh, that, that there's no accountability. Really, there's no other loser than that. So you're in this, saying in this Donald case. Trump's entire cabinet is what you're saying here. <laughs> you're talking about Wilbur Ross. I, and- I want to tell you that yeah. in my plans there are mostly winners, and the winners. All the winners are the American people. For example, if I talk about my education for all plan, right? We hear presidential cam- you know, candidates talking about free tuition, right? The way I'm approaching these problems are completely different. So as a computer engineer, I, re- I led billion-dollar product lines, right? So the way I think about you know, going after things is what is the ultimate solution that I want? And then I work back to find solutions to get there. The ultimate scenario that I want and then find solutions to get their work back. That's how I approach every problem. Now, here's what's happening in the United States. We have rural hospitals and rural health clinics shutting down everywhere. We don't have good teachers in our K through 12 system in rural areas and underserved areas and underserved you know, communities. We don't have enough mental health professionals. And by the way, remember you talked about private health care? It doesn't matter if you have the greatest insurance policy. Try calling around and find find a mental health counselor. It'll take you weeks, if not months, to even get an appointment. Just because you have insurance doesn't mean that you're going to find someone who's in network, right? Right. So we have a huge problem, a huge gap where we don't have these, we don't have enough social care workers, especially in rural areas. So what my education for all plan does is number one. First and foremost, it puts a stop to this Ponzi scheme of student loans that our government has instituted. There are options out of that. But more importantly, what it does is it incentivizes our kids to go into the most in-demand areas. So I'm talking about going into being a primary care physician, nurse practitioner, school teacher, uh, social care, um, Areas that, that, that our communities really, really need. And here's the reason why. Right now, our physicians come mostly from really, really affluent families. And what happens when you become a doctor? It takes you eight years to get out of med school and another three years to get residency, right? So you're hitting your early 30s. And what happens when you hit your early 30s these days? You get married, you have kids. And then when you have kids, you want the kids to spend time with their grandparents. So you tend to move closer to your family. And where are you moving? You're moving back to those affluent communities. We're not incentivizing kids from our underserved communities to go into professions like primary care, 
uh, and being physicians. We need to do that. My healthcare, my education for all plan just does exactly that. If you promise to go into these in-demand areas and you make a pledge to go and serve in these underserved and rural communities, then we reimburse you the expenses that you incurred for getting that education. Uh, you literally described the same scenario as one of my good friends and her husband of the whole like, you know, graduating medical school, moving back to the, you know, where they're from, the whole thing. And so, um, it's, it's interesting, um, that you, that you make that point. And, um, it seems to really address a lot of what you try to do seems to address where these fundamental problems are really, you know, going yeah. on and festering and, and it creates a cyclical situation, right? Like if these, right. if these underserved communities you know, aren't getting what And you know need. what, this is something that we've done. We've done as a country, we've had the GI bill, right? Yeah. We do that for people who serve this country. We need to incentivize our folks to serve their country. And the way we do that is we say, Hey, these are the areas we need you most. And we want to put a program similar to the GI bill, but you don't have to join the military to get it. Today's podcast is brought to you by Sonic's new Fair Faves, bringing the carnival food to you, and almost immediately after, to your toilet. That's right, carnival food. Nobody asked for it, but Sonic said, fuck it. 99 cent corn dogs are never a bad idea. The yum yums include the aforementioned shitty corn dogs, cheddar peppers, which are jalapenos filled with cheddar cheese, breaded and deep fried, served with ranch dressing, and fried Oreo a la mode, which is three Oreos battered and fried served with ice cream. To repeat, they took Oreo cookies, battered them, and fried them. Literally, literally, the worst possible thing you could eat. Sonic, not one fruit or vegetable in sight, means everything's all right. This ain't the blacklist, so let's unpack this. The Second Amendment, man, can we redact this? What are we gonna do about the killing and violence? What are we gonna do about the souls who've been silenced? I'll make it easy. I wrote down a list. Some anti-weapon ammunition. How about that for a twist? Uh, last issue I want to talk to you about is is guns um, and where you stand on that. Because obviously, Beto uh, O'Rourke in the last uh, several weeks, I guess, a uh, couple months here, uh, I feel like has at least energized, re-energized his campaign a little bit, but but not, you know, because he's he's talking about guns. Obviously, what happened in El Paso, what's happening around the world and uh, around our country. And I'm just curious, as a person who lives in Texas, mm-hmm. how is that addressing something? Because I can imagine healthcare people could buy in. I can I can understand, you know, raising the minimum wage and and uh, you know a lot of the things you're talking about, but. I feel like guns is one of those things that in a place like Texas, people hold on to pretty strong. Yeah, they do. And we already know that almost, you know, what is it, 97% of all Americans are for back, you know, comprehensive background checks that we need to close any loopholes and background checks, right? So that should be done immediately, right? Number one. Um, number two is... Other countries, especially on a small scale, have tried to do what um, Beto proposed. So I don't know how much you're familiar with what happened in New Zealand. They tried a big 
you know, gun buyback program, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And all that resulted was getting in about 10% of the uh, guns or the weapons that they wanted to take off the streets. So their gun buyback pro- program uh, was, you know, nowhere near successful as it needs to be. And the thing we need to keep in mind that most Americans don't talk about, one of the things that, you know, Democrats really love to talk about is, you know, bans on certain weapons like assault weapons uh, based on their definition. But here's the thing. We have tens of millions of assault weapons already out there. And the real question is, what are we going to do about that? You can, you can ban all the new sales all day long, right? But we have semi-automatic handguns and assault weapons that are out there. And I think this is something that we need to address. The fact is this. If you don't know who has what, right, then how do you actually even make a successful gun buyback problem, uh, gun buyback program? You have to know what's already out there. Just by banning future sales is not going to be the solution. So what I'm proposing is two things. One, that if you have these weapons, you need to register them. And you need to get training. So you cannot get registration until you get training. Training, registration is mandated. And there's actually a very unique way to do that. The way you do it is that when you want to buy any kind of accessory or ammo for your weapon, you would be required to show your registration. And in order for you to show your registration, you would have had to go through the training. So now there's actually a way to know who has these weapons and also control exactly what they're doing and what their, you know, training is around it. That's why I'm proposing registration and training in addition to full background checks. Now, on top of that, what I'm also saying is that if you want to, you know, own these guns, right, you should also be mandated to go through mental health checks on some sort of cadence, which would be covered by my healthcare for all. What this does is it promotes responsible gun ownership. Yes, people in Texas have guns and there's already tens of millions of assault weapons and semi-automatic guns out there. The way we can ensure that people use them responsibly, number one, 100% background checks. Number two, mental health checks on a certain cadence fully covered by healthcare for all. And number three, registration, which requires you to be trained. And that's how we promote it. In addition to that, you can do other things, but that's how you can actually institute a program and, and execute on it successfully. Well, and and that makes sense, but I got to ask, so like for future sales of assault weapons, you're okay with that. I'm not saying I'm not against, you know, assault weapons ban. My point is just doing future sales ban won't solve the problem. Fair enough. So all I'm saying is that, look, if you really want to keep your kids safe, because here's the thing, the problem is not sales and not sales. The problem is I'm sending my six-year-old, right, to school, and I want to be completely confident that when I go to work, my kid... Tommy is going to have a great day at school and he's not going to be scared 
of drills and somebody coming in. That's the ultimate goal, right? We want to send our kids to school and have that peace of mind. And if we want true peace of mind, we have to do something about what's already out there, regardless of what we do in the future. We can do everything we want in the future, but we have to do something about what's out there. And that's the important point that I want to make to you that nobody's really addressing. That's fair. That's fair. Um, all right. So we've talked about healthcare. We've talked about guns. We've talked a lot about uh, a lot of substance, but I got to, I got to ask one more very uh, serious question, which is, um, I know barbecue is a big deal in Austin. Um, <laughs> yes. I myself, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a thing when you live in the Bay area, you gotta have like, you gotta be a vegan or a pescatarian or something. So I actually don't eat meat, but my dad, uh, loves barbecue. He lives in Austin. Uh, and he, he specifically said, I'm only going to listen to this. If you ask Donna what her favorite barbecue joint is in Austin. So, Oh my goodness. You can go Texas. I'll let you go Texas too. This is is a complicated answer. You're going to get me in real trouble now, but okay. I'm going to tell you that there's different answers for what you're in the mood for. Okay. So I'll start with, if you want the true Texas kind of outback laid back experience of barbecue, you have to go to the Salt Lake in Driftwood, Texas, <laughs> for that experience, okay? I've been now, there, actually. <laughs> it's very <yes>. good. <laughs> it's very cool, right? Yeah. And the, here's the thing. You don't go to Salt Lake just for the barbecue. you got to save space because the most important thing about Salt Lake, okay, is not their bar- barbecue, but it's their um, cobbler. you mm-hmm. got to have cobbler a la mode. That's what you really want to save space for. That's the best thing ever after barbecue. <laughs> Now, for those of you guys who are just coming in and out of Austin, I'm going to give you the biggest secret. You want to get the extra moist brisket from Rudy's Barbecue. Okay. And there's no wait lines, nothing. So if you're in a rush, they have the best in and out um, experience. So, and in between, there's so many good places. I wouldn't know where to start. If you, (laughs) if you have a lot of time in your hands and you just want to hang out, there's obviously Franklin's, but you're going to have to stay in line for four to five hours. (laughs) But those are the two biggest secrets that no one, no one, you know, will tell you. That's, you know what, you just, you just, uh, my dad's going to listen to my podcast for once. So I really appreciate that. Um, you just made my day. How about breakfast tacos? Because those are very big there as well. Am I right? Hey, if you want breakfast tacos, I make the best breakfast tacos in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and you know how to make them really good? What's what up? you need to do is that when you make your eggs, right, you need to put onions and jalapenos and make them really spicy and a little bit of potato and cheese. And that's the real Texas, you know, breakfast taco. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. See, this is, I like it. People come here to hear the substantive discussion about healthcare and guns and they, they leave, uh, with, I imagine like a very large appetite. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you come to Austin, uh, I'll, I'll make you some of my tacos in my house and uh, see what you think. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I definitely, I, I definitely, uh, I should be But ready. here's the thing. You know what's the most important thing about tacos is the sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's, I feel like that's true with barbecue too. Am I right? Like, it's like, you've got a. Like jazz, like I'll have, I, I like barbecue sauce, even, even though I don't eat meat, I'll eat it. I'll put it on like bread or I'll put it on other stuff, you know? You know, if you had uh, the extra moist uh, brisket in Austin, Texas, 
uh, you wouldn't need barbecue sauce. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> it's because you're a vegan that you need the barbecue I know. sauce. I know. I know. I got to jazz but, it up. You know, we have really, we have really great avocados too. So okay, okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. Last question for you. Um, this comes from a, a fan of the podcast here. Uh, his name's Robert Mad Dog McCauley. He lives out in Livermore, California here. He wants to know, what the hell do you love most about Texas? <laughs> Where do I start? Where do I start? You know, what I really, really love about Austin, Texas specifically, is that we, in the middle of December... You know, you can just be in the most casual outfits. You never need a jacket. (laughs) And the food is great, but the best thing about Texas is the people, right? The people are amazing. They're the most friendly people. And that's what makes living in Austin such an amazing experience. You go out and you can have a good time. You can listen to some live music almost any day of the week. And, And this whole beautiful kind of culture that we've created here where you can just put on your sandals and come out. That's what I love about Texas. I, uh, I, I highly endorse going to Austin and visiting. It is, as Donna has been saying, it's Austin's just a really cool South Congress. You've got, uh, rainy street. I know dirty Sixth street. You got that, you got that craziness over there. So there's always something to do over there. There's always something to do. Yeah. Um, well, Donna, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. Where can people check you out on social media and your website? Uh, I know it's, it's votefordonna.com. Where else can they check you out? Yeah, so it's vote for Donna, and that's for with F-O-R, uh, Donna, D-O-N-N-A. And I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram with, at Donna, D-O-N-N-A, I-M-A-M, I-M-A-M, that those both are M's, and then T-X. So Donna, I'm am TX on all the other social media. Uh, go support Donna. And uh, I, I just, it's again, awesome talking to you. Thanks so much. And uh, I will be, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll try to say hi when I go to Austin next time. I should be over there pretty soon. So yeah, Justin, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Please let your list. I want your listeners to know we're running a completely grassroots campaign. We're taking no corporate PAC money. We're completely dependent on you. And we need every dollar because every dollar gets you closer to healthcare for all, which really, really accelerates and solves this pain point that every single American have, has. So please support us. We need you. We can't do it without you. Absolutely. And, and if you have Bernie, please tell him to endorse my healthcare for all plan. Um, I will definitely, uh, I'll definitely uh, let people know. I will also go chip in myself um, because you, uh, you seem awesome. So um, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you.